hot in here and it's awesome, it's dry, and I hope you're feeling the love. Today uh, we're closing out our, our final chapter in this series, not just resolution, resolution. And uh, that's what we've been talking about is, is the last four weeks is just really that God can provide us with a solution greater than ourselves. And uh, I want to start off with a, with a prayer this morning for our sound. We'll pray for that and uh, appreciate everybody and what they do to make this service great. But join me in a word of prayer. Let's start. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to meet here together in your name. Uh, Father, we're so grateful that we get to live in a country where we can proclaim Jesus and we can live free and believe uh, what you've called us to believe. And we're not oppressed. Uh, but God, we know we have our struggles here in the United States of America, the land of the free, uh, that oftentimes we choose poorly. And I pray, God, that you'll please help us today. Let your spirit speak to us this morning. And I really do want to pray also that you'll please just help us, uh, God, with our mission and our vision as a church. And I pray for our people online, uh, Father, who couldn't make it to service today. I pray for uh, God that you be with Cassandra, uh, that you'll please be with her uh, and, and help her, God, bring her fever down and, and bless her, God. She's our sister, and we just pray for her health and everybody who's sick and in hurting. Uh, and pray for our sister churches around the world. We love you, God. Bless us. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you're a guest here, uh, really glad you're here. And we've been talking about this idea of how you start the year. And typically, all of us, it's a multi-multi-billion dollar industry when people start the year, guess what happens in health clubs? Guess what happens in, you know, these online diet plans and uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you're bombarded with all this stuff. And all of it, most predominantly, is focused on what? We've talked about this the last three weeks, self-improvement. It's mostly focused on you, self-improvement. What should I do about me? How can I make a better me? You know, things like uh, I'm going to lose weight this year. Uh, I'm going to put on weight this year. You know what I'm talking about? Teens, yeah. You're going to, you know, bulk up, beef up. Uh, maybe I'm going to get out of debt. Uh, maybe I'm going to go back to school and, or finish school and get my degree. Uh, maybe I'm going to go for that promotion. And maybe I'm going to work on, on my family and my marriage. And all those things are really, really, really good things. But who are they centered around? And, and the reality of it is, is that it's mostly centered around us, me. And so we introduced this question a few weeks ago from the book of Nehemiah that uh, David rolled out. And it was this question that Nehemiah, God basically, it was divine design. God put it on his heart. What breaks your heart, Nehemiah? And basically what broke his heart was the condition of the city that his ancestors were from. He hadn't, it's, it's more than likely he'd never lived there. But he knew people that lived there. His, his ancestors were from there. And so it broke his heart that the city was in such bad shape. And so we looked at this question, hey, instead of focusing on me this year, let me focus on the people around me. Because if you want to be a better person, how about starting to make the world a better place? What can you do? So last week we introduced this question. At the end of your life, at the end of my life, I would like people to line up and thank me for fill in the blank. What would you like people to thank you for? 
in the way that you've affected their life. Maybe, uh, Armando, if you could help me with the echo here. I've got a little bit of an echo. But what, what is it that you want to be known for, remembered for? You know, and this is something that, that honestly, we, we've got to weigh in on. Is, is it just going to be about me? And then we looked at this. If we notice, if you want to answer that question, then you know it automatically kind of leans in on you. It's going to cost you something, isn't it? It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you maybe some money. It's going to cost you maybe some priorities. You're going to have to rearrange your priorities. Maybe there's going to be less time for you, and you're going to have to focus more on other people. You know. But when we hear this, we think about it, and we go, oh, I don't know. There's a problem. There's a tension with this question that I don't know if I want to do more because all of us are inherently what? Lifesavers, not life givers. We're life preservers. We want to save ourselves. Why would I want to give my life away? Why, why, why do I want to give myself for somebody else? Because, you know, we got things like insurance and airbags and, and, and you know, safety ratings and alarm systems and everything is a, just revolves around keeping us safe. And if you're going to make a difference in other people's lives, guess what that means? You're going to have to take some risks. And it might not be safe in all areas. You might get wounded in your heart. It might, it might, you might try and fail. And so this is what we think. Along comes Jesus with this tension, and he says this. If you want to follow me, crowds and crowds of people were following Jesus, but he basically had to ask them this question. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So Jesus is basically saying this. If you really want to follow me, you've got to be willing to lose some of you, if not all of you. Wow, and you hear that and you go, that, that's, that's really challenging. See, because my nature is I want to save myself. I don't want to give myself. I don't want to give my time. I want to save me. And what he's saying here is, but if you lose your life for something greater than yourself, we talked about this last week. You can go back on our website and listen to it. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you're not worth living for. What's worth living for is something greater than you. See, you weren't created to just live for yourself. You were created to live for something greater than yourself. And one of his promises that Jesus gave us last week is, is our relationships will get even better if we'll live for something greater than ourselves. So what he's saying here, and anytime you hear a challenge from the Scriptures, like a hard challenge, understand that on the other side of that challenge is a, an incredible blessing. Because I decided to live this and start following Jesus, my relationships improved. And guess what else improved? My own life. And so we gotta, we gotta see Jesus knows a lot more about living and about us than we know about ourselves. And so basically, we looked at, we looked at this last week. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. 
And what Jesus is saying here is, if you live for yourself, your life will end up becoming a total loss because you'll have nothing to show for it. It'll just be you and you. And a lot of people face that hard reality at the end of their lives and go, what what, what did I live for? And and it destroyed me. It destroyed all of my relationships. But the flip, flip side of the total loss is this. Jesus said this, but if you decide, if you devote yourself to more than yourself, meaning you live for something higher than you, you will have more than yourself, that you will have more than yourself to show for yourself, which is basically saying here, instead of a total loss, a total win. And so this year when we look at ourselves and your goals and what you want to accomplish this year, let me just invite you as Jesus is to live for something, live for someone greater than yourself. And then you can look back at this year and go, this was my best year ever. Total victory. Total difference. Because now I've got these people that are so grateful and people that I've impacted, people that I've helped. And not only that, I'm honoring God with my life. And last week we talked about this in Christianity. So today I'm going to single out Christians. We're going to have a nice chat. If you're not a Christian, if you're here for the first time and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, then guess what? You get to sit back and listen and watch and go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, I agree with that. That's probably why I stopped going to church is exactly what you're talking about today. But I also want you, encourage you to listen in because this is greater than just church. But we talked about this last week, the difference between church attenders and church builders. And as we talked about last week, even people who come as guests can tell the difference of what a church is made of. Is the church made up of people who are church attenders or church builders? Like a day like today, for example. You know, if you're a guest here in the church and you come to church for the first time, it's a rainy day, what happens when there's a, a church full of church builders? Now, I don't know if this happened. It's happened in the past, but it, I wouldn't say it's as consistent as it needs to be. But somebody would come out to the car with an umbrella and say, hey, let me walk you into the service. Wow. They were expecting me, and I'm a guest. You know, kind of like you go to a nice restaurant. What do they do there? You know, when you pull your car up, they got valet. Now, we don't, haven't got the valet down yet. But there's a difference, right? We're expecting you. We're glad you're here. And hey, what can we do to to help you, to serve you? But if it's a a place where just people are attending, what happens? Hey, you're on your own, dude. You know, I'm not sure if we're glad you're here. I don't know. I I like the way you're dressed. Let me check you out. You know, what's that that tat you got on your neck right there? What's that all about? You know? Or, or what's wrong with you? What, what, what's your problem? You know, do you know you're not a Christian? You know, do you know you're not living right with God? I mean, that, that's kind of a church attender, not a church builder in the way Jesus modeled it. And so we talked about that last week, and I hope that all of us are making a decision to be church builders, even on a rainy day like today that we realize we have a great opportunity. But what we're going to talk about today is so much bigger than just Christianity and church and, and, and religion. 
Because what we're going to talk about today, you know that even people who don't believe in Jesus, who don't follow Jesus, and maybe they don't even believe in God, because they've embraced this principle of living for something greater than themselves, and, and they looked at the world around them, and they saw something broke their heart, and instead of, you know, late night television, and you saw that commercial, and it broke your heart, and you say, man, that's really terrible. Somebody needs to do something about that. Click. They didn't turn the back to it. They said, no, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to be, you know, a medical missionary in Africa. I'm going to go and do something. I'm going to, I'm going to support uh, building water wells in places, rural areas where they have no access to clean water. I'm going to do something about that problem. I'm going to lean in and be a part of the solution. And so this doesn't just apply to people who, you know, believe in God, follow God, and, and believe in Jesus, follow Jesus. This is much greater, and you've seen those people. You know those people. You read about them, and it's powerful the way they give them their lives to something greater. But if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's not optional of whether I'm going to do something for someone that's greater than me. It, it, it's inherent it's a requirement that you live for someone greater than yourself if you call yourself a true follower of Jesus. See, because there is a difference. And today we're going to look at some verses that are incredibly uncomfortable. So now that you're nice and warm and cozy and dry, Prepare yourself if you're a member of this church because we're going to look at some things, but I promise you this, if we do these things, it very well might just change our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, and do some amazing things in the lives of people around us. But it's so much greater. Here's one of the problems with Christianity today. Believers are often content to believe something rather than do something. This has been a problem for many, many, many years, even especially in election years. See, here's what Christians do. What they tend to do is they form a group and they turn in on themselves. And it's all about themselves. And it's all about us versus them. And who's the them? The people who are not Christians. And even especially in an election year, what happens to Christians? They form groups, they form coalitions, and they begin to wave their finger at the rest of the world saying, there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with that, and this is wrong, and that's wrong, and this is wrong. And what they don't realize they do is they create a polarization. But it more has to do with what they believe versus what they're doing. And see, this is something really we've got to think about as a church. Have we fallen into this trap where we're focused more on what we believe and this, this vertical relationship with God, believing the right thing, following the right thing, and then we forget about the horizontal, what am I doing for the people around us? See, I believe we need to change this whole idea that we're believers and, and change the name and say, no, we're not believers, we're doers. Amen. We're doers. We're, we're people that do things. James, James talked about this 
in his letter, James, the brother of Jesus, he said, don't just merely listen to the word. Don't come to church and just listen. Write it down. Take notes. And then, don't just, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Be doers. Take action on what you hear. What God inspires you to do, take action. What God challenges you to do, take action on that. Do something about it. Don't just be church attenders. And see, this is what happens in church world, not just our church, all churches. And if you're careful, you'll notice. And it has a very negative effect on our society. Because people who are outside of the church, they feel this. And they realize, hey, they're not in it for me. I want access to God, but there's nobody out there to really help me. They just feel pushed away. They feel judged. They feel rejected. You know? And, and these are people that don't go to church. Do you realize right now that the generation that's coming up, the millennials as they're called, it is the, is the generation that least attends church of any generation in our nation? We've got a real problem. And one of the challenges is for the church is what are we doing about it? Not what are we believing about it, what are we doing about it? And we've got a responsibility, as James says, to be doers. So today we're going to look at this uh, in, in a very, in, very in-depth way. And I want to talk about the Apostle Paul today. We're going to look at one of his letters. And, and Paul was just like this. Paul wasn't just a believer. He grew up being a believer. But once he converted and started following Jesus, he realized, man, I'm so blessed I got a relationship with Jesus, and you know what I need to do? I need to make sure as many people as possible know about Jesus. And guess what he did? Right after his conversion, he started preaching. He started reaching out to people. And then after that, a couple of years after that, he says, you know what? I'm from this little area right here of the world. You know, this area from Tarsus, this is just the small portion of the world. I got to make sure that I go on a missionary journey to make sure all these other places know about Jesus. And he got in a boat that you and I wouldn't get in for our lives to travel two or 300 feet. And he didn't travel two or 300 feet. He traveled all the way across wide open oceans. It was crazy. It was suicidal in some ways, some of his missionary trips. Not to mention the persecution that he suffered. See, Paul understood Christianity is not about believing alone. It's about doing. It's about spreading the message to people who don't know God. And, and one of the main, main things, and I'm so thankful for it, and I bet you you are too, is Paul devoted most of his life to helping people who were not Jews, people who were Gentiles, and that means they had no prior faith in God that we would say, you know, the, the Old Testament and who God is, Yahweh. They had no understanding. So when he would study the Bible with people, it was like starting from scratch. And you had to undo a lot of these, you know, polytheistic ideas that people had. And you had to really, it took time. It was messy. But he weighed into it because he realized, I've got to live for something now greater than myself. And so today we're going to look at a very famous passage in 1 Corinthians, and it's one of these churches that Paul influenced, Corinth, 
And all the letters, you know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, in case you're wondering. But all the letters that he wrote, he wrote to churches that he directly started or one of his disciples had started. And so he not only started them or sent people to start them, he followed up to make sure. And this particular letter that we're going to read today is one of several. The first one is called 1 Corinthians, and then there's another one called 2 Corinthians. There's actually two more that were lost, uh, the letters to the, the Corinthians. But thank God we have at least two. And what we're going to read today is about a church that is in non-Judea, non-Jewish influence. It's a pretty crazy place. It's a port city with a lot of bad backgrounds. And they weren't living the way God wanted to. So imagine starting a church in that environment. What could go wrong after the, the beginning? It was crazy. They had stuff going on, sin stuff going on. They had lawsuits between believers. There was bickering and fighting. And then, and then you had this other group of people that, in the church that were becoming ultra-spiritual, you know, like just in a way out there with giftedness. When they understood, I'm gifted spiritually, they really got into it. And they were just like, I'm gifted and I'm special and God's gifted me, etc. And Paul had to basically pull all that in. And I just want to warn you up front, to the church in Corinth, these words were very challenging. But to the church in West Covina, these words are going to be very challenging. Here's basically what Paul is saying. He said, listen, put some motion in your devotion. Put some motion in your devotion. See, because devotion is all about the vertical. But motion has to do with the horizontal. What are you going to do with what you believe that can help and impact people who are far from God? That's really the issue that he's talking about. So you ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians. And this is a very famous passage, chapter 13. If you've been to a wedding, they probably quoted this verse once or twice. Okay, it's a very, very well-known verse. Okay, but... I don't know that it was for weddings. They were used a lot of weddings, but I really believe the purpose of the passage was for churches who are turning in on themselves and need to understand how to focus on putting motion to their devotion. Okay, so here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Look at where he starts out. And he, prior, just the chapters prior, he was talking about this giftedness, people who are gifted spiritually. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or even of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. How many, how many dialects of languages are there in the world today? Anybody know? 6,500 dialects. That's a lot, isn't it? You can Google it. 6,000. What if you were so spiritually gifted? I mean, just, I mean, you're not a two handed worshiper. You're a double handed worshiper. You come to church and you're like, man, you're into it. And there's a tear here. And you're like, I'm in with Jesus. And he gives you gifts. And let's just, let's just suppose he gives you a gift to be able to speak 6,000 dialects of men's languages. Wow. 
Is there anybody that can do that? And not just 6,500, 6,501. Because God gives you another gift, and that is the gift of speaking in a different language, a spiritual language, and that is a language that you communicate and understand what the angels are saying. I mean, you're so up there, dude. You're, you're at a level. People go, whoa. Let's just presuppose you can speak 6,501 languages. And you're so tuned in. But Paul says this, yet you do not love. And this word love here, he's not talking about, you know, the love as we Valentine's love. I love you and you love me and, you know, let's just hold hands. And that's not what he's talking about. This, this love here is, is, is in the Greek language, the original language of the New Testament. There's three words for love. This is the most powerful one of the three. It's called agape. It's a love that is unconditional, sacrificial, not emotional. It basically is saying, I'm in this relationship, come thick or thin, you can't stop me from loving you because I'm in. You can't do enough to stop me. And that's kind of the love, that's exactly what the love is that God has for us. You can't stop me. That's how committed. I'm willing to sacrifice for this relationship. I'm willing to go through literally hell for you. That's how much I love you. That's what he's talking about. So if I have all this giftedness, and so, hey, wait a minute, Paul. What you're saying is, is that devotion's not important? That a connection with God, giftedness is not important? No, 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 that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you just focus on your giftedness and your spirituality, you're incomplete. You are extremely limited. See, because God gave you something in your giftedness, in your spirituality, so that you can love, so that you can help people, so you can make a difference. And then he goes on to say, I'm just, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. Or like in our services, sometimes you got a ringtone that goes off. And you go, man, that's annoying. That's what he's talking about. Verse 2. He goes on. Now he's going to talk to people like me. Okay? Ministers. You ready? And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... Basically, I'm so well-versed in the Scriptures, I know the Bible so well that I could tell you the verse and chapter of whatever question you have. Basically, these Bible men, Bible women that walk around and they basically can tell you, there's a verse for that, 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 there's a verse for that. Whoa, 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 I know there's a verse for that. But what about the love? Or somebody who's so wise, they've got like this spiritual gift of, of understanding, they can basically tell you what's wrong with you by sitting with you. They've got it all figured out. In other words, this type of person is extremely deep. I mean real deep. Way down deep. 
And, and you have a conversation with them, and, and guess what happens? Right over your head. You get lost in all the, the garb, and the, it's just like, whoa, this is over my head. Even if you're that person, even if you're that person, and you don't have love, and then he, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love. Now, this, this next one is like those super duper awesome preachers that are so confident of what they believe. They, they can elevate their voice in such a way that you will just go, wow, I he is so confident of what he believes that I believe what he believes. I mean, they just inspire and elevate faith. I mean, it's just like, man, that I'm into that. Yes, yes, that confidence, that faith that can move a mountain, that can move a group of people, that can move you from where you are to another place. If you have all that faith and yet you don't have love, agape love, here's how he closes it out. I am nothing. I am nothing. And this word nothing that he's, he's talking about, it's a Greek word that's it's pronounced euthen. Euthen. And that's exactly what it means. You, euthen ain't nothing. That's basically what Paul is saying here. If you have all that stuff, and it's not horizontal, meaning you're not affecting the lives of the people around you. It's nothing. Whoa, 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 Paul. What you're saying is, is that Bible study's not important. Devotion to God, worship, the worship ministry is not important. Uh, faith is not important. Is that what you're saying, Paul? He's saying absolutely not. But I'm telling you, if you just focus on those things and there's no extension of those things, it's empty. It's limited. It's not fulfilling what God intended. And so, you know, you got to ask yourself that question. And, and, and Paul's saying, I am, and he's speaking, I, basically, this is a soft sell. You know who he's really talking to? If I speak in the tongues of all men and in the tongue, he's not talking about just, he's, he's a soft sell of saying, if you do that. That's what he's saying to the church in Corinth. If you've got all this stuff, yet you really don't love people, if, if you're really not willing to get messy in the lives of people around you, it's youthen. It's nothing. It's empty. It's, it's churchy people stuff. And, and, and this is, this is uh, pretty, pretty serious. And then he goes even a step further, like, wow, Paul, you already got me, but now let's talk about even more, he goes. He goes, if I give all I possess to the poor. Now, whoa, whoa, time out, Paul. Giving to the poor is action. That's horizontal. That's got to be in there. No, but he's, he's, he's talking about this, if I give all I possess. How many times do you get to give all you possess away? Just one time, right? It's a one-timer. So what's more important, Paul, a one-timer or your whole life? And here what he's talking about is, let's talk about a Super Bowl halftime show of I'm going to give away everything that I have. And I'm a rich person. I'm going to give away everything I have. There's going to be confetti. I'm going to have, you know, 
uh, some, some famous singers there. We're going to have fireworks where it's going to be the super show and it's going to be, man, look at me. I'm giving everything that I have away. Who's the focus on, the giver or the receiver? See, if you're giving everything you have and the focus is on you, it's the same thing. And he goes on, if I give all I have to the poor and give over my body, now he's saying, now this is ultra, ultra spiritual. I'm going to take my body and I'm going to sell myself as a slave. And I'm going to take the money that they give me for me for being a slave. And I'm even going to take that money and I'm going to give that money to the poor. Wow. You are incredible. Who's the focus on It's all about me. It's all about the giver, not the receiver. And that's what Paul is talking about. So who can boast? So that I can boast. I can boast about who I am. I'm spiritual. I have knowledge. I have incredible faith. And I'm even willing to give up my body. Everything I have. I have all that. But if I do it with the motivation that it's for me, Paul says, I gain nothing. If it's not about this, I gain nothing. See, now let's get to the, let's get to the heart of the matter here is what Paul's saying. Let's get to the heart of the matter. What's wrong with you, Corinth church? Why are all these problems in your church spiraling out of control? Because the focus of your year, your best year, 2016, the focus of your year is on what and on who? It's on me. And he's saying, if you do all that and yet you don't have love, I gain nothing. Youthen. You're nothing. I gain nothing. It's good for what? Nothing. That's what he's saying. Now, these are very, very hard words that Paul's saying. But let me help you understand. If your primary focus is on you, you're going to be just like the Corinth church. You're going to have a lot of problems. And I can promise you, most churches that have a lot of problems is because the root problem is they're focused way too much on themselves and not focused on people outside. And this is, this is something that's happened for many, 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 many years. Churches fall into this trap over and over again where it's all about them. The high school ministry, we got a tight group and it's all about us. And we got our, we got our crew and we're together and we're this. But anybody who's not in the crew, campus ministry, man, we got this awesome, solid student ministry. We're together and we're fired up for Jesus. And everybody that's on the outside, Sorry. See, Jesus, Jesus came to motivate us to focus on helping other people, just like he did, just like Paul did. Paul risked his life over, over, and over again. Basically what Paul is saying, as long as it's all about me, no matter what I do, then I'm good for nothing. 
And my faith has to be about God and it has to be about other people. So let's do it in modern day language, all right? Let's have some fun. Okay, 2016. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. It got really quiet. I understand that. Okay, let's loosen it up a little bit. If I raise my children and maintain the perfect schedule and maintain the ideal weight in 2016, but do not have love, I am nothing more than a leaf blower at 6.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. I hate that. Saturday morning, making that noise, trying to sleep, trying to recover. That's basically what Paul's saying. I am nothing more than an obnoxious ringtone in a crowded movie theater. Don't you hate that? Here's what Paul's trying to tell us, guys. Listen. God is annoyed with churches when they are so focused on their selves, their spirituality. Man, they just create classes, classes and classes and classes and classes and classes and classes and classes of knowledge and knowledge, and their brains just explode, and they're like, ah! Meanwhile, the world around them perishes. Lost people like you and me, they stand around with their hands in their pocket and they say, what is going on over there? And how can I fix my marriage? How can I fix this hole that I have in my soul that I don't even know why I'm alive? I don't even know why I'm here. Can somebody help me? You know, I I really would love to help you, but I got this this class this afternoon. I've got this thing that I got to go to, and it's going to help me spiritually. I can't go. I can't help you. That's where it can go. I'm not saying that's where it is. I'm saying that's where it can go. And we got to be careful, like all churches. And let me just say this, guys. What goes on with churches today in 2016? It's musical chairs. Most churches are not helping people who don't go to church. They're helping people move from church to church because they got this program that's better than that other program. And so people are just basically moving around like musical chairs. If you really did the research and studied out the population of the United States of America, you will see the facts that the majority of the people who don't go to church aren't moving in to go to church because most churches are focused on what? That's what Paul's addressing, guys. Listen, Corinthian church, I want you to understand something. God gave you gifts. But he gave you those gifts. He gave you faith. He gave you a willingness to sacrifice, the willing to do so much for other people, but he did it with a purpose in mind so that you will love others, so that you'll stretch yourself. And basically he's saying this, if you make you a better you and it goes no further than you, you're nothing more than an annoying version of you. Funny but it's hard. If this is as far as it goes, you're a nuisance. And, 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 this, and if you're a guest here, you're probably going, yeah, that's probably the reason why I don't like going to church is because they're so focused on themselves. And 
Yeah, but you had your time in church. And you got the same problem, it's just not church-related. See, because you're doing the same thing outside of church. It's all about you. See, we're the same, it's just we're not being honest with ourselves. And so here's what Paul's saying. Put your, motion, put your devotion into motion. Devotion to God is authenticated by love for others. If you want to know if the love is real, how are your relationships with the people around you? And that's where it gets really intense, these relationships, sideways. How's it going? And let me just be honest with you, that's where it gets really messy. It's hard to do this. It's hard to love other people. It's hard to have a church that's focused on helping people that don't go to church because it's messy. I mean, to get involved in people's lives at that level, it's messy, isn't it? It's hard. It's challenging. So, man, I don't know if I want to do that. But honestly, if it's not benefiting the people around us, so let's read the verses afterwards, okay? We're not going to delve into it as much, but these are the wedding verses. They're not really wedding verses. These are church verses. This is for a church that lost its focus. Love, he says, he defines it. And, and most people who look at this, they say, this is the most profound, profound scripture written anytime, anywhere. You, 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 this is like, this is spirit-led right here, what Paul says, because it's so powerful. You look at any philosophy, any theology, this is amazing, because he breaks it down. He says, love is what? Say it with me. Patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not. It is not. It does not. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily. It keeps no of wrongs. It's powerful. Look at what love does. And look at what I do. Do I do this? Do I do this? Not do this? This is a great acid test in a marriage. You want to know how the love is in a family? Sit down. Have the interview. Have the talk. How are we doing in this? What do we need to work on if we're really going to be people that love? And then he finishes out, love does not delight in, but rejoices with the truth. It always, 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 and never You mean that's what love does? That's what love does in any relationship. In any relationship. And what Paul is saying here, guys, is if you really want to practice following Jesus, it's not about this only. It's important. This is important. But all churches everywhere, all religions everywhere tend to focus on this and forget about this. And Jesus came to say, it is not about just this. This is important, but this is equally important. If you're really going to follow me, you've got to focus on this, not just this. 
Because everybody everywhere likes to focus in on this. Me and God, we're like this. Oh, really? How are you and God like this when everybody around you are like this? It doesn't work that way. Well, it's his fault. It's her fault. No, no, no. Go through the list. Ask other people. So this is pretty intense, isn't it? And so let me ask you this question. What are you most grateful for? God's sinless perfection or God's sacrificial intervention? What are you most grateful for? I mean, does it just inspire you that, that God is sinless and perfect? Doesn't that just like, wow? No. What inspires you? What fills your heart with gratitude? What just makes your heart well over? Do you know that in the Old Testament when people came in the presence of God, you know what they used to do? They would hide. They would, they would curl down in a ball and get down and hide their face. Why? Because of God's sinless perfection. And they realized, I, I can't be in the presence of this because I'm so not this. I'm so far from this. What did Peter do when Jesus called him to, to follow him? He said, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to be in your presence. You're too good for me. See, the first one, it's not, it's not the motivator. It doesn't well us up with gratitude. But the second one here, the second one absolutely is the reason we get motivated. It fires us up, doesn't it? See, because Jesus, Jesus didn't just look down on earth and say, man, there is a huge problem down there on earth, and it breaks my heart. Click, change the channel. He didn't do that, did he? He said, let me do something about this. Let me go down there, and let me die for them. Let me sacrifice myself and let me put myself in between God and them. Let me intervene. And Jesus is the most, the, the most perfect description of agape love that there is. And Jesus doesn't want it to stop with us. He wants us to continue. See, what's going to motivate somebody outside of church? Our sinless perfection? Our, our elevated spirituality, our incredible wisdom and knowledge, our willingness to sacrifice, if it's all about us, no. What's going to motivate people to want to come to church? Our sacrificial intervention, that we'll be willing to take time out of our schedule to intervene. Let me ask you a question. How did you get here? How did you get here? Who brought you here? Have you ever, since that time, interviewed them and asked them that brought you, what did it take to get you here? They said, well, they invited me to church and I came and it was all about me. I was so, I was so ready. I was so good-hearted. I was so willing. And I, I changed, man. They just, they just gave me the keys, and I, I drove away. No, it wasn't like that. You were a knucklehead, weren't you? You wouldn't return phone calls. 
You, you uh, were critical. Mm-hmm. People, and, and what did they have to do with you? Persevere. They had to keep inviting you. And you know what they did that you didn't know they did? They prayed for you a lot. They interceded on your behalf before God. They prayed to God, God, please help her. Please bring her around. Please open her eyes. Please help her. They got messy, and some of you were very, very messy people to work with so that you could come to God. Isn't that true? There was a lot of sacrifice in your intervention, and that's what motivated you, and that's what showed you that God loves you that much. So what's going to bring people to church? It's that your devotion to God is authenticated by your love for others. See, this is where it all comes down. And this is what was not happening in the church in Corinth. And I got news for you guys. In the church here, it's not happening enough. And the motivation has it cannot be, look at me, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm doing for God, for the church. No, no, no. Don't, don't focus on me. Focus on him and focus on this person who's coming. Focus on, focus on this lost person that needs help, that needs Jesus. So I wanted to, uh, to, to bring to your attention today some, some steps in the right direction, okay, as a church. Because you can't just... Okay, I feel, I feel convicted. I feel challenged. What do I do? Well, let me help you with what you need to do. Okay, you ready? If I could have the, uh, the, the, the ushers, uh, if you guys could uh, change gears here. I'm going to give you a card today. Okay? It's, it's called the VIP card. And it's not to get you into certain places for free and with a discount. This is called a VIP card, meaning very important people, very important prayer card. And, and I want you to put names of people on this card that you're going to pray for who are not close to God. And I want to encourage you not to put people who are your friends and, or, or your relatives. Friends are okay, but your relatives. Because your relatives are an extension of who? Of you. And it's okay that we pray for those people, but the, the priority is people who are far from God, who are not necessarily an extension of us, that we're going to pray for them every day. Okay, and then we're going to lay their, their, their lives, their names before God and say, God, would you please help this person to get in the right relationship with you? And hopefully by the end of the year, you can have this card you know, filled up and you're going to need another one and you're going to need to get like a, a, a tape on, an extension. Okay, so uh, a v, VIP card. I want to make sure you get one. Okay, v, VIP prayer card. Okay, and then the other thing is I'm going to give you a sheet today. All right, and th- this, is, this, is my, this is my conviction, okay, is, is we need to have, uh, you know, a prayer ministry where we're praying for people, but also we need to create an environment in church. And what kind of environment? Let me, let me ask you a question. Who is the church really for? Believers or non-believers? Both. But what's the tendency of most churches? Is it created for believers or non-believers? It's a natural, guys, like we're life preservers. We are assured that we're going to take care of ourselves, aren't we? Because it's in our nature. What do we have to work at? Becoming a church for non-believers. That takes work. That takes effort. Okay, so 
here is a sheet that I, I, we're going to give you a sheet before you leave, and I'd like for you to fill this sheet out. I'm putting the guest services people to, to work this morning. Okay, they're running around. Please look this sheet over. Pray about it. And I want to go through it once you get it in your hand. I want to show you this is kind of a breakdown of what we want to do in our church in 2016, how we want to break down our ministries so that we can meet the needs of believers and non-believers. Okay? So you're ready to go over this. All right, let me go through. And, and the top part of the sheet here, you've got uh, five circles. And this basically breaks down the focus that we want to have as a church, to seek, to serve, to connect, to go, and to plan. These are essential areas that we want to focus in on. And, and below those, we've got ministers that are going to be, you know, basically uh, leading, heading up these areas of focus. And this first area of focus is outreach, which has to do with our website, newsletter, invitation, social media, special events planning, community uh, outreach planning, and hope worldwide, uh, local and global. Okay, basically what I would like for you to do is check the things that interest you. Not just interest, oh, oh that's nice, I'd like to know more about that. No, no, doer, not believer. Things that you would like to help participate in. Okay, and then right below that first circle, you've got a ranking. Okay, which of the five circles do you rank as the one that you'd like to participate in? Okay, the second circle is serve. Uh, that's going to be headed up by Joel and David Molina. Okay, and that has to do with the worship ministry. If you're interested in that, uh, musicians, audiovisual people, uh, set up and breakdown of our services, our, our Kingdom Kids worship. One of the things that we want to start doing this year is to have a time of worship for our children. They don't just go into their classes, but they can sing songs and praise to God. That's, that's very important that they learn to do that at a very young age. And hopefully you're doing that at home in your uh, family devotionals. The teaching ministry, which is very important, okay? It's not mutually exclusive like I talked about. Understanding, wisdom, knowing the Bible is very important, but it can't stop there. But we included that. Uh, a, a, a review of our core four, that is uh, how to study the Bible with people who are not going to church, not coming to church, they come for the first time, and to bring them into faith in a relationship with God. Next steps, those are our follow-up studies that we do with people after they are baptized or restored or if they come into the church. Apologetics, something brand new that we'd like to do this year is, is empower some of the members that we have who have really great backgrounds in teaching of apologetics. Okay, we want to offer those classes. Divorce care, which we've got going on. Grief recovery, which we've got going on to help people that are going through these crises in their lives. Chemical recovery, something new that we want to restart this year is people with a chemical dependency background so we can get them in a group and help them so that they together with tools can overcome their addiction. Uh, and then a purity of, of uh, a men's group for purity, men and women so that brothers and sisters can help each other with tools and how to overcome their dependency and, and their, uh, that, their problem in that area. Guest services comes below that. The parking team, yes, we would like people to be out in the parking lot so that the minute they drive up, they'll know, hey, we were expecting you and we're glad you're here. Greeters, welcome station, ushers, uh, communion prep. The third circle is, is to connect. Uh, and that's going to be headed up by myself and Anthony Tejeda. 
uh, that's the uh, Married and Family Life Ministry. Uh, where, you know, studies, series like The Essential Eight, uh, a brand new one that's not on here that we're going to start a, a, men's, a men's group focus in the family life ministry. Essential Eight for parenting, uh, leadership, small group leaders, community leaders, uh, ministry training programs, shepherds, deacons. One of the things that we're going to do this year is to really focus on raising up more deacons in the church, people that can oversee ministries. Specialized ministries, kingdom kids ministry, special needs ministry, which has to do with children that have exceptional needs, uh, youth ministry, teen ministry, campus ministry, singles impact ministry, glow ministry, prayer ministry. And then number four in the circle is uh, headed up by David Molina. That's missionary trips, missionary journeys, Central America, Northern California mission trips, Mexico mission trips, Central America mission trips, Hope Medical Brigades. Uh, and then the final one, the fifth one, is, is planning. Uh, our, our regional financial committee uh, is the first one. Our benevolence committee, stewardship ministries, special missions uh, fundraising teams, and our count team. These are some of the areas that we want to focus in and grow out this year. So I would like for you, as a member of our church, to pray on this and fill it out. And let me just say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not optional to pick and choose if or not you're going to do any of this. Okay? I mean, let's be real. Are you really here to help Jesus accomplish his goal of building his church? And we can't sit in a corner and go, I'd just like to watch. Okay? Can I just watch? Can I just be an attender? No, you can't. There's too much to do. What we're doing is so vital. And let me just say this. In the 30 years that I've been a part of Jesus' church, it has totally transformed my life and the lives of so many people, thousands of people in different places. So it's my conviction, it's Jesus' conviction that the church is a great place to change the world. And then the last thing is take a bold move in someone else's direction meaning habla, meaning open your mouth and share your testimony with somebody else. How did you get here? Because somebody opened their mouth and shared their faith with you. They talked to you. They said, hey, would you like to come to my small group? Would you like to study the Bible with me? You know, just be in there so that when the time came, they, they saw their need, you were there to help them. Outreach asking them, hey, would you like to come to church with me and get to know my spiritual family? Okay, take a bold. It requires courage. It requires love. And then the last thing is to show them how much God loves them. You know the best way you can show somebody how much God loves them? Open the scriptures with them. Show them, hey, can I, can I show you how much God loves you? And we're starting a brand new series next week for the month of February on how much God loves us and how much God has really instructed us on how not just to love him, but how to love each other, how to, how to grow out a family, okay, how to grow out friendships. It's going to be a very exciting series, which I'm very much looking forward to. So with that, right now we're going to celebrate the communion to close out our service today. And today at the end, with your sheets, if you, you know, are this good, if you're this good and you already know and you filled out your sheets, or if you have questions about any one of these five areas, 
We're going to have people sitting back there at the table that you can ask questions about. Okay, so for communion, let's get our minds right. It's a lot of information. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Why, why, why should we go to all this trouble in the church? Why should I go to so much trouble to give my life for Jesus? You're asking a lot of me today. And maybe you feel that way. But, but I want to remind you as we take the communion. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who just judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For we were like sheep going astray, but you have now turned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As we take communion right now, remember what Jesus went through to reconcile you to God. It wasn't easy. It was incredibly messy. And he did it to show that he loves you and he did it to show you that he loves this world and he wants us to do the same. That we may not have to die on a cross, but we can rearrange our schedules a little bit, can't we? To help other people. Maybe set aside a little time to help somebody else. When Jesus went through all of this for us, yes, we can do that. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We lift up Jesus right now, and we are so grateful that he was willing to come down here on earth and suffer the way he did for us, and then, and then teach us specifically that it's greater than ourselves, what means following him. And I pray, Father, that you'll please just help us as a church right now to, to make the decision to give our lives for you and for the people around us. Father, that again, we can be a vessel that helps great numbers of lost people, people who don't go to church anywhere, come to know you and come to know that you love them and you're willing to give your life for them. Please use us as a church. Forgive us, God, for our selfishness. Forgive us for us as a church. Forgive me as, as the minister of this church for, for leading us in the direction of too much focus on ourselves. God, I pray you'll be merciful to all of us and help us, God, to be the church that Paul envisioned, that Jesus envisioned. God, we love you. Help us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bless this communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.